This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello again, Andrew. How are you doing, Monica? Oh, you know, survived. How many films now? How many rounds of Twilight? This is number five. Have have you slayed any vampires lately? I have not, you know. I thought I put those days behind me in the 90s, but I guess we'll take them out again for a new generation. But I mean... I figured a hardcore feminist such as yourself would look to Buffy for inspiration. I mean, yeah, Buffy, but Bella's no Buffy. Bella's like anti-Buffy. She just wanted to sleep with Angel. (laughs) That's not so much fun. All right. Well, um, in case you missed it, folks, we're actually talking about Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2 this week as our regular episode, not Lincoln. We were going to originally make our regular episode focus on Lincoln and make Twilight a special bonus episode. But after watching both films, I realized I had more to say about Twilight than Lincoln. And you didn't believe me. I did not believe you when you said that there was a lot of stuff to talk about. But you were right. There is. (laughs) If you're new to the show, Cinema Fix is the show on Film Geek Radio focused on discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. And each week we release an episode in two parts. Uh, This is part two of our discussion of Twilight Breaking Dawn, part two. So if you do not want to be spoiled, you should wait and see the movie or go listen to part one of our episode, which is spoiler-free. Again, this is part two of our discussion of Breaking Dawn, part two. I know that sounds that's kind of confusing, but just to reiterate, we will be talking spoilers. But before we really dive into things, here's a clip. Can I keep Strange. Physically, I feel like I could demolish a tank. Mentally, I just feel drained. Bill, I've had a bad habit of underestimating you. Every obstacle you faced, I think you couldn't overcome it. And you just did. You are the reason I have something to fight for. My family. Monica, I know when you first saw this film, you texted me and you you told me that it was actually a really interesting movie, that you'd had a good time. Mm-hmm. And that there was stuff to talk about. So I got to ask you, what was the best part of this movie for you? Uh, Easily the fight scene that apparently doesn't happen in the book. And we saw it with a crowd full of Twihards. And when that scene commenced, apparently there was much screaming that, no, this doesn't happen. Meanwhile, me and a couple other critics that had gone beforehand and pre-gamed We were screaming because something was actually going on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Something was actually happening that wasn't brooding. I wish now that I had seen the film in a packed theater full of Twilight fans, 
because I had heard that there wasn't a big final battle in the book, but I didn't think much of that until this battle opens with Carlisle, (laughs) the leader of the Colon clan, having his head ripped off by Michael Sheen. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine that if you were a fan of the books and that did not happen in the books, that as soon as that happened in the movie, you would feel very confused, very betrayed, and possibly outraged. Yeah, but then it's okay, because later they, you know, figured out that it was a Alice's vision or whatever. Yes, and we uh, we really need to talk about this. Yeah, well, it completely negated what just happened. And for us, the critics row, we were kind of disappointed because we thought, oh my god, now it's over because they killed everybody. But no, it well, wasn't. Well, it's the, the movie's really trying to please everybody. It's trying to please diehard fans of the series and people yeah. that absolutely hate Twilight. And I want yes. most of our discussion to focus on that final battle. But before we before we really dive into that, mm-hmm. I just have to say the rest of this movie. Oh my God, what is what is up with the rest of this movie? Okay, first of all, Bella's daughter is named Renesme, which is the worst name I think I have ever heard. <laughs> There's even a moment when she tells her father that her, her supposedly adopted child is named Renesme. Yeah. And Billy Burke, God love him, he's the best thing about this series. He has this look on his face that just seems to say, I cannot believe I'm in this movie and that this is an actual character name. <laughs> It's 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 incredible. Yeah. Also, I you know I would also be kind of pissed as a I guess as a parent if my child was just getting married off to her high school sweetheart. Some of them tend to have dreams and hopes and aspirations for their children beyond becoming vampires, but that could just be my family. I've talked in other podcasts about the different Twilight movies about how really awful some of these people are when you think about it and how creepy. A lot of them are. Oh, yeah. And there's a point in the film Mm -hmm. when originally they decide they aren't going to tell Bella's father that she's alive. They're going to tell him that she died in childbirth or something or in a horrible accident. Yeah. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, you people are the biggest jerks to ever walk the face of the earth. You're immortal, but you're terrible people. You're going to lie to this guy and tell him his daughter died. What? Who does that? Who does that? I mean, they have this excuse like, oh, we wanted him to say safe or whatever because we're not supposed to reveal our vampire's existence. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, I, you, don't, you don't think he can keep a secret? Really? Yeah. These, these are awful people, Monica. We've seen now five movies about some truly terrible individuals. I know, I totally agree with you. I mean, like, Edward Cullen is a creepy jerk. Like, let's be honest. He even says and confesses how much he wants to kill Bella multiple times throughout the series of the book. And she's like, uh, I love you, son. Just gonna stay by your side. I mean, like, it's, it's almost like borderline anti-feminist. <laughs> We've gone... Oh, it is anti-feminist. Okay. There's no doubt in my mind. The Twilight series is the most sexist mainstream franchise I think I've ever yeah. seen. Harry Potter, who doesn't, who the girl is only, Hermione is only a supporting character, is much more kick-ass than Bella Swan ever is, and she's the main character in this story. Right. There's been a lot written about the Twilight franchise and how, and, and the awful messages that it sends 
teenage girls. So I, I don't really want to talk about that in this episode. So I've talked about it before. And to be fair, this episode is is less focused on the creepy Bella Edward relationship than mm-hmm. the previous films. So in terms of the gender politics, they're a little bit better in this movie. Bella does get to literally become empowered at one point and mm-hmm. and try to actually yeah. do something for herself. So that was refreshing. Yeah, she she uses verbs at some point. Yes. And I, I I'm not sure did she was was her truck in this movie at all? Because one of the things that bugged me about all the other films is that whenever a man was around, she would never even drive her own truck. She would always have one of the two guys that were madly in love with her drive her truck for her. That's how little agency she had. <laughs> but wow. thankfully, her truck doesn't make an appearance in this film. No, because she can run super fast and tackle you know, mountain lions while she's at it. She's good now. Yes, and she has to resist the temptation to eat mountain climbers. And to not eat her baby. Right, which is apparently a big deal. You know, the, in the opening of this film, she becomes a vampire. She goes running off. She she almost eats this random uh, guy who, who's climbing a cliff. And somehow the fact that she's able to resist that, the, the other vampires are like, whoa, wow, you're so strong. You showed such restraint. Yeah. <laughs> and I just found myself, again, thinking, really? Really? <laughs> You're awful people. You really are. Yeah. <laughs> like, if she had killed that guy, they would have been like, oh, uh, it kind of sucks that you killed him, but he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. You're a young vampire. You can't control it. Well, that's basically what Jacob says, the werewolf, for uh, when he imprints on Renezme. It's basically like, I, it's not a love. It's, you know, some sort of a bond with her. And, like, now he's her protector or whatnot. And it's like, we can't control it. It's a werewolf thing. It's a wolf thing. Yeah, that's that's exactly what he says. It's a wolf thing. And uh, that happened at the end of the last film. And it's really creepy. He's basically falling in love with the baby. Really? Like, in this series, like, they're just trying to find stuff to troll the readers. At least I like to think so. Probably not. Stephanie Myers might even kind of believe this. And can you can you explain the Renezme aging process to me because I that I did not get that at all. Apparently she's growing very quickly. She's half immortal and she's half human. So she's going to live forever, but she's going to age. But not like super fast, but she stops around 25. Wait, she stops around 25. So I think in the end she might actually age farther than her mother. It was or that's the 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 guy that came in at the end. It was like he stopped somewhere in the early 20s. Yeah, it's very strange because I spent the entire movie trying to figure out, okay, wait, 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 how much time has passed? Well, let's be honest. Like, all parents want to skip the potty training stage. Like, I don't know any parent that wants to go through that with their kid, but we just have to. Okay, but a- answer me this question. From the time the movie opens and Bella has just become a vampire to the time the movie ends mm-hmm. and, the, and that final battle rolls around how much time has passed because the baby ages probably around 10 years yeah and i couldn't figure out is this taking place over a few days a few months how long is it taking 
for all of these forces to gather and get ready. Yeah, apparently the Volturi are old school and take a long time to organize, but um, it must have been only a couple seasons, like fall, you know, summer, winter seasons, because the whole thing is that they would be here by the f- when the snow sticks to the ground. And, you know, that's usually what, around, I don't know, wherever in Oregon. Seattle, wherever that, just a couple months because she had her after her honeymoon. That was the other thing, too. Her pregnancy went really fast, if you remember in part one. She was, like, huge after one day, and it was like, well, that sucks, but it was like a monster pregnancy or whatever because it was all at once, and her, her feeble body couldn't take it. I just spent most of the movie wondering how much time have passed. Shouldn't the Volturi be here by now? Like I said, you know, it's really hard to get vampires together. They have to apparently organize and vote on stuff. It's, you know, really bureaucratic, or at least over there on that side, on the European side of the the vampires, apparently. Can they not just, like, put on some baggy clothes and some sunglasses and hop on a plane and get over there and start the battle? Yeah, I I don't know. What I was curious is how they traveled. Uh, Maybe that's explained in an earlier episode or whatever but i was curious how you know because i think that at one point you know they go over to italy and they recruited people from all corners of the globe too like they got irish vampires and they got vampires from the amazon which were pretty much totally racist but you know there you go there's also some russian vampires yeah but they weren't invited they just showed up yeah it's really weird that the, all this whole mythology really didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and it never has from the beginning. They totally went to Egypt. And that's when we got, like, the Avatar Airbender deal with, like, the guy who oh, can yeah. control all the elements. Yeah, they're, like, going all over the place, and it was... I was just trying to figure out what is what is happening. How are yeah. you traveling? Are you keeping a low profile? Why can this guy control water? Yeah. It, it, it's just... This movie really is, like, X-Men meets vampires. Except with less than half the quality of X-Men. Yes, the powers in this movie are really kind of dumb. I mean, Bella can make a force field. A few people can, have, can like, use the force to throw some objects. Uh, I think one person can, like, read minds or something. And then, of course, there's Alice, who this whole time has been able to see the future, which is kind of strange. And she yeah. disappears in this movie with her husband. Yeah. I believe. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't figure out I, I know they explained it, but I was busy live tweeting <laughs> at the time and I may have missed it. So <laughs> is the is the deal that the Voltori wanted her to join them because of her power, but she wouldn't? So she yeah. went into hiding, is that? Yeah, yeah. So the thing is with the Voltori is that they actively recruit, you know, really super strong vampires and of course one that can predict the future is kind of a big deal or at least that's what we're led to believe because now apparently all vampires have superpowers i don't know except the irish vampires i think were kind of left out but um yeah so she goes into hiding to uh not tell anyone but i guess she also doesn't tell them the fact that the voltori also come after them because it was another vampire that had to you know explain that nobody leaves notes nobody knows how to communicate in this movie 
<laughs> yeah, can, can't she just, like, send a text message or something? I mean, it's the 21st century. Get with the program. I mean, she was she was clever enough to, you know, use, I don't know, what was it, a uh, Shakespeare book or whatever to write a note on. Why was she that worried about the Volturi? I mean, it takes so long for them to get over there. Yeah. Surely she didn't have much to worry about. I don't know. Maybe she didn't want to be wrong. But then she showed up anyways to the battle, so whatever. <laughs> these these are things that defy an expectation and explanation. Yes. I mean, this movie, it, it really is hilarious. I imagine that if, this, if it was late at night and you did uh, partake in the consumption of alcohol, I can see how this movie would be pretty enjoyable. There's a scene in which Bella arm wrestles a guy, and she's, like, picking up rocks and competing with other vampires in feats of strength. It, it's just really bizarre. Yeah. Also, what's up with, with Renesmee? She's a, can, she can fly or something? There's a scene in which she, like, jumps really high to catch snowflakes. Yeah. And she's, like, floating. Yeah. There was... I was just kind of sitting there thinking, what am I watching? There is a flying toddler catching snowflakes. I mean, remember how she communicates with, like, touching people's cheeks or whatever? Yeah, she touches people, and then what happens? She can, like, project what she sees and what she feels to them. It, it's very strange. Mm -hmm. So my explanation is just, like, why not? <laughs> so everything that comes up with her is like, what? Oh, I don't see why not. <laughs> why? Yeah. Why? Why can't she have superpowers? It makes total. It'd sense. be so adorable. Why not? <laughs> I will say there's a pretty entertaining flashback when they're explaining why the Volturi want to kill Renesmee. Yeah. You know, basically they think Renesmee is this evil creature. Basically, it's illegal to turn children into vampires. And there's this flashback to the 1800s or something, to this ancient village, and there's a shot of a toddler with blood on its mouth <laughs> standing over a pile of dead bodies. Yeah. And I just found myself thinking, can I see that movie? I want to see that movie. I want to see the one with the little toddler vampire completely tearing a whole village apart, okay? That would be a fun movie. And then Dakota Fanning throwing him into a pile of fire. Like, that was a good crowning. That's a great way to end the scene. Yes, after its mother's head is ripped off. So I think that says a lot about the quality of the film, that we'd rather see a flashback expanded into a feature film than the actual movie we're watching. Yeah, I still say it makes a pretty decent midnight movie. Especially, I mean... Oh, man. I mean, yeah, you have to, you have to definitely go in and altered states, but it was so worth I can it. see how the last 15 to 20 minutes might make a good midnight movie. Yeah. I mean, it just makes up for the fact that there's four other movies out there <laughs> with this name that we had to sit through. Yeah. And now suddenly Lee Pace is in this movie. What is Lee Pace doing in a Twilight film? Was he in any of the other ones? I don't think he was. Again, like, why not? Like, anything that happens into these movies, I'm just like, why not? Yeah, I can't believe they got Lee Pace and Dakota Fanning and Michael Sheen to be in these films. Though, to be fair, 
Michael Sheen looks like he's actually having a good time. That laugh will forever haunt my dreams. Okay, yes, there's a moment in the film when he laughs, and it is simultaneously one of the creepiest and most hilarious things I've I've ever seen an actor do. I think he should receive serious award consideration <laughs> just for the little giggle he gives at one point in this film. I mean, if you never had doubts about taking candy from a stranger play that clip to children and it's like no this is exactly why you don't talk to strangers and they will never talk to another person ever again i feel like it's that traumatizing like it is so creepy but it's it's clearly he's the only person on set that's having fun with this and it's just overacting as he's just it's hamming it up yes as awful as these movies are I would happily watch a spin-off series all about Michael Sheen and his character because Michael Sheen is always good in everything. Even when he's in terrible movies, he always chews up the scenery and he's just so much fun to watch. Tron Legacy? Oh yeah, I'd totally forgotten he was in that. Oh man. Oh man. It's just like, oh, he's been typecast now as the feminine evil dude, hasn't he? Yeah, and even even um, Underworld, he he was in that series of vampire and werewolf films, and he, those movies were pretty terrible, but again, he was good. Yeah. So I don't know why he keeps returning to series about vampires and werewolves. That's probably the only phone calls he's getting. Maybe. They're like, guys, we need a vampire dude. Who can we call that's like not really busy with anything else? <gasps> This guy. Let's get this guy. Get this guy on the phone right now. Yeah, maybe he really enjoys being able to look back and go, you know what? I really was the best thing about that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, let's talk about this final battle. Yep. You got a good old theory about it. I just enjoyed it for the crazy. I had a really lengthy uh, debate on Twitter with someone about this ending to this film. Really? I missed that. Basically, Carlisle gets his head ripped off, and all hell breaks loose. And there are CG Mm -hmm. werewolves and vampires flying at each other. Everybody is dying. This movie has possibly the most decapitations I've ever seen in a PG-13 film. Yes. At least since Lord of the Rings. Yes. But, you know, it makes sense here, because they're... They're vampires, so there's no blood. They don't. They don't have blood. Right. So it's the film is still able to get a PG-13. Yeah. Even though it's very violent, but there are several major characters who die during this scene, and I was really surprised. I was kind of thinking, oh my goodness, I actually kind of like the fact that for the first time ever, this series actually seems to have some stakes. There are actually some major characters meeting their end (laughs) in this final battle. And I was kind of impressed. And I was thinking to myself, in the back of my mind, oh man, wouldn't it be great if Bella or Edward bit the dust? That would be incredible. And then they kind of hint at it. What do you mean? At the end, it almost looks like Edward is falling into the pit, right? Oh, oh, right, yes. There is a scene in which... For a second, it looks like Edward is about to die, and then he leaps out at the very last The screams instant. at that point were just like, it was insane. <laughs> I and can again, only like, imagine. I was screaming for a totally different reason. I like, <laughs> Wow, I can only imagine the teenage girls screaming in horror as Edward was nearly 
killed. But but yeah, so this big violent battle plays out, and then Michael Sheen has his head ripped off. Bella and Edward basically team up and tear oh, yeah. him to pieces. And that's when you realize none of it was real. It was all a vision that Martin Sheen uh, saw of the future. And so he decides not to have this big battle. Everything is settled diplomatically, and they realize that, you know what? Everything will be okay. No, people won't have yeah. to find out that we're vampires. Everything's going to work out with Renesmee, and we can all live in peace and live happily ever after. How did you feel about that ending? Oh, that was probably the next best thing, is that it was all just a dream. You know, like, it's a really bad soap opera, and it like the whole episode, they just wake up and nothing happened. It just negated everything that you just watched for the last 20 minutes. I mean, it was a little sad because, God, didn't we want this to be the actual thing that happened? But at the same time, it just added to the, like, craziness of the situation. And while there was a lot of moaning and groaning, I was laughing even harder. (laughs) It's like, of course. What was the response from people in, in your audience? There were a lot of sighs of relief from the fans. There were a lot of groans from the critics because now we have to watch an entire new ending. So it was like resetting back. And then I was just, you know, I was laughing because, of course, this would not be reality. Edward almost just died. Like, from the, when that happened, I was like, there's no way they're offing him. I would have heard this from my sister. So <laughs> they didn't just bump him off. <laughs> I was actually really impressed by this ending, and mm-hmm. if that's the way the book ends as well, then consider me doubly impressed. So what I was told from some poor bastard who actually did read the book as part of like his review or whatever, he said that there is no fight. They all just congregate. They do this big, you know, dramatic talking, and then they will go their separate ways because... Oh, now it was just a misunderstanding. They still killed the girl or whatever, the the woman who tattled on uh, Renesmee and caused the whole Venturi to come over. But otherwise, like, they just settled their scores and, you know, everyone just goes home. Which that, you know, in a movie doesn't do very well. Right, it's not very cinematic. If you're going to throw in vampires and werewolves in a valley, something needs to happen. But instead they have this, you know, sort of, here is the something that needs to happen. And there is the, okay, this is what actually happened in the book. Well, they tried, they they, they really want to have it both ways. They want to keep things exciting and cinematic and have a big action showdown. Mm -hmm. But they also want to stay true to the book. So I think the way they handled that was pretty effective. I agree. I was really surprised when I realized that it was all just a vision and that none of it actually happened. Because Mm -hmm. we've talked in the past about how Twilight really is a very conservative series. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, particularly in regards to its depiction of sex and gender, it almost seems backwards at times um, and kind of offensive. But here with this ending, it's Mm -hmm. actually taking what, in my opinion, is a very progressive attitude towards violence. And it's actually proposing that... Maybe it's possible to work out our problems diplomatically rather than with a big fight. <laughs> and I was just kind of real. I, it really took me by surprise. I did not expect Twilight to take the subversive radical route. I mean, you know, in 99% of mainstream Hollywood films, mm-hmm. there would be a big bloody battle in which the quote unquote good guys defeat the 
quote-unquote bad guys, yeah. and they all live happily ever after with no consequences. And I, I was really surprised that this movie did not do that. Um, so I think you might be reading a little too strong into that, but, I mean, it goes in with the, you know, I guess the Christian theology, you know, Stephanie Myers. I think she's Mormon, so that's where a lot of the, you know, the same sorts of the values of chastity come from and that sort of thing. Like, it fits into that mold, so it doesn't exactly surprise me, but I also think that that would be just giving her way too much credit for infusing, like, this is an anti-war message. Well, right. I, I, again, I'm not sure if that was the intent of either the author yeah. or the filmmakers, but that's what was on screen, and that's what it seemed like to me, that yeah. you could definitely interpret this final battle as an anti-war statement. And I got into this this discussion with someone on Twitter about whether or not that's actually the case. Is this actually an anti-violence film or is it actually a bit hypocritical because yes ultimately they decide to be peaceful but not until after we're shown this big violent battle that's very pg-13 and there's no blood and it's just mm -hmm. kind of there to satiate the audience's bloodlust yeah. So is it trying to have its cake and eat it too? And does it succeed? That, that I think that's an interesting question. I don't know. Because, I mean, also, like, the whole fight sequence is an embellishment from the filmmakers. So that would, right. you know, you're missing with the source material. So is it really from the standpoint of the author or is it from the filmmakers? So that's another way to frame it. Who's doing the philosophizing? Right. Just going by what's on screen and, and not trying to guess at the filmmaker's intent, I find it interesting that we have a situation in which the villain of the film, Michael Sheen's character, the head of the Volturi, the guy who's been in every movie, I think, since the second one, at least, yeah. you know, and has been just this, this threat always on the horizon. We have this ending in which he, he looks forward into the future and sees that if he goes through with this final battle, he will die. And not only will he die, everyone pretty much will die. There will be mm -hmm. no winner. And, he, you know, he decides to back off and not fight as a way of, you, you could say it's a selfish act, as a means of keeping his own life. So that brings up the question, is it still a, a moral thing to do to not go to war if you're really making that decision purely out of selfish reasons because you don't want to die? Is that a brave thing or is that selfish and cowardly? There's also the thing, I mean, it ends after shortly after he dies. So, I mean, obviously, that's where the vision gets cut off. But um, the other thing is that his tribe is basically just destroyed. His troops, if you will, they get annihilated. If you're going, if you're general leading a losing battle, do you really want to go through with it? Like, do you really, really? And if it's just not that important, like, those things you have to consider, I guess, if you do Warth games or whatever. You're, you know, you're going to take on a coven of vampires. It was just fascinating to me to compare that to, again, most Hollywood films in which there's a big fight, tons of people die, but then ultimately the good guys win, and it's kind of viewed as this very positive thing. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it seemed to me like Twilight, of all things, was acknowledging, hey, when you fight and you use violence and you go to war, really, at the end of the day, there's no winner. 
in one way or another, your side will lose either short term or long term down the road when there are retaliations and, and, and there's reciprocity. Yeah, I don't know how many, you know, 13 year olds are going to walk away with that message. So I don't know if it's I, I'm not sure either, but I'm just impressed that it was in a mainstream blockbuster series. I guess. Especially one that's been leading up towards this big final battle. Well, here, here, quick question. Because then if they didn't have this big battle and they just, you know, talked it out like they do in the books, would that make the same impact on you as it did? Well, I, one, I think that would be even more radical because it wouldn't show people this violence and kind of use that whole idea of violence as entertainment. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, people I think would be bored and they wouldn't pay attention. It it really is a question of how people respond to the violence on screen, because I think certain fans might see all of their favorite characters heads being ripped off Mm -hmm. and be horrified and be like, oh my god, this is terrible. This battle, this violence, this is really, really awful. Yeah. On the other hand, if you hate the Twilight series like you and I <laughs> do, we see that and we're cheering like, yes, kill them all. I hope they all die. <laughs> May we never see them again. And it's just mindless uh, entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I found it interesting that I was imagining how if I was a fan of the series and I saw this battle happen, I would be very upset Mm -hmm. because it would be like my side was losing. And then Michael Sheen's character, he sees that vision and he sees that his side is losing too. Yeah. So nobody wins, really. I mean, sure, Bella and Edward survive. Edward almost dies, and it, it's at tremendous cost. Can we not talk about, like, how a random, like, rift in the Earth's crust just happened <laughs> randomly, and there's, like, just lava down there? Like, that's a like, that's an awful sinkhole, man. That sucks. Yeah, one vampire just, like, slams the ground, and suddenly there's this huge crack yeah. in the Earth. It's very strange. Yeah. But, but, yeah, I was sitting there, and I was... I was watching the action sheet, and I was trying to, I was trying to figure out, is this violent? Is this disturbing? Is this funny? I can't decide because, on the one hand, you've got people's heads being ripped off, you've got Dakota Fanning being mauled by a giant werewolf, yes, and you've got these things that 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 when you think about it are actually really gruesome happening. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, the effects are so bad, and it's all just so shiny and glossy and fake looking. Yeah, no blood ever, so there's not... N- no blood, it's it's very... Sanitized. Yeah. For a movie with so many decapitations, it is sanitized. Yeah. So does that minimize the impact of the violence, and is that a good or bad thing? I mean, it disassociates us from the violence because, you know, it's not realistic. A, because there's werewolves running about, and B, because, you know, no one bleeds after anything gets torn off. Right. So I found myself wondering, is this violent enough that fans of Twilight will be disturbed by the fact that they're watching their favorite characters die gruesomely? Or will it just kind of perpetuate that idea of violence as entertainment, where even if ultimately the film is kind of saying that maybe diplomacy is a better idea, is it in fact undermining itself? Yeah, I don't I don't think people are going to walk away with the diplomacy idea, because it's just... 
what it is, it's it's feeding that need for bloodlust, that there's something's got to happen. These two people meet in two different rows, stuff's going to go down, and it's going to go down badly. So then we get that. We get that, but then we realize it was all fake, and it was it never really happened. And as you mentioned, you said that there was a sigh of relief. Yeah. To a certain extent. So there's a part of me that thinks, well, that's a good thing. You know, if people... Well, you know, if you're invested into the characters, if you're fans and stuff like that, like a lot of the people in the audience that I saw it with were, um, in that case, you're glad that Edward didn't just fall into a flaming hot pit of lava. But, you know, for... Right. Again, I guess for you and I, we were, we were cheering. <laughs> no, but I think what was the other thing that you said that would the violence in it be uh, traumatic for viewers and fans of the series um i think younger kids that may go see it i mean it's a it's a step above cartoon violence because in cartoon violence you know it's clearly you know it's porky pig it's the road runner it's the coyote it's very not human-like it's anthropomorphic and in here right. we have actual characters actors and their heads are getting popped off like barbie dolls so that's a little, you know, I could see, you know, my, I, I do big brother, big sister. I could see my little sister getting a little freaked out. You know, she's 11 seeing this. <laughs> my actual real sister at 18 would be like, oh, that's so cool. You know, I found myself wishing that there had been more decapitations like that in the Hunger Games. Yeah. Isn't that like kids killing kids and yet somehow <laughs> it's really clean? Yeah, that was very sanitized as well. It's definitely not Battle Royale. I came away from Breaking Dawn Part 2 feeling like, you know what? That movie was awful and this series was awful. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it does seem to be promoting diplomacy over violence and war. And, and saying that, you know, violence isn't a way to solve all your problems. And if you use violence, you're probably just going to end up hurting yourself. Yeah. And I thought that that was actually a very progressive statement. Not the most progressive statement, but certainly for mainstream Hollywood, a step in the right direction. Yeah, I'm not exactly 100% sold on that. Because I think it goes more into Michael Sheen's character's vanity. You Before you were playing kind of devil's advocate. And it's like, does it make it morally justified if it was just for his selfish purpose and i think yeah like i i said that it was for like he's a team player or whatnot but it, the other way could be like no he's selfish and he just does not want to get his head popped off by bella like that sucks right i mean that was the argument i got into with someone on twitter was you know if if he's only pursuing peace for selfish reasons because he doesn't want to die mm -hmm. Is that still a good thing? Is that still a moral thing? And personally, I feel like, yes, peace is peace, even if it's for selfish reasons. Okay. And I tend to take the philosophy that acts of violence tend to be reciprocated mm -hmm. and just look at American foreign policy throughout history and you tend to see that, you know, the actions we take towards others tend to come back and bite us in one way or another further down the yep. road. So in some ways it is in our own self-interest to pursue peace. Peace, to a certain extent, yeah. is a selfish act. So I, I don't really mind the fact that the, the conclusion is ultimately reached just because people don't want to die. Is that so wrong? Is that really a selfish thing that you don't want to die? No, see, I just felt, I, but I just felt it was part of his character. 
Like, I didn't see anything that he, there was a grand statement about saving the world or anything. It was just like, oh, it's he's all talking, no game. All right. Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, so what do you think would have had to happen for it to be this, this really incredible, meaningful statement? Oh, uh, it probably wouldn't be Twilight at all. Because <laughs> I don't think anything serious could come out of those dialogues. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like barely a step above James Cameron and Titanic where nobody knows how to use pronouns. This one nobody knows how to use verbs. It's it's all just feelings and I'm not sure about what I want to do. Well that's great. I love watching uncertainty as you spell it out for me. I have a lot of pent up rage over the years from all these Twilight movies. So yeah. I think a lot of people are in the same boat. Just please, God, don't let it be remade in a couple of years because they'll lose the rights. Yeah, the, 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 these movies are not good and just almost everything on a craft perspective yeah. is horrible. Uh, the dialogue's awful. There's a point in the movie where Bella's giving a voiceover mm-hmm. and she says, quote, their thirst for human blood complicated the situation. Yes. And I just wanted to yell at the screen, well, duh. <laughs> that tends to be what happens when you crave human blood. <laughs> Things get complicated. It's an issue. <laughs> but yeah, the dialogue in this movie is just really terrible. There's also another point in which one vampire tells his girlfriend or oh or i saw that you you had that on one of your tweets yeah he says if we live through this i'll follow you anywhere woman and i was sitting there thinking is that supposed to be romantic yeah anytime i'm called woman it's really it's a come hither yeah right? you know i really hope we get to keep doing this podcast for long into the future woman <laughs> see man just doesn't have the same thing it's like it's a woman all right <laughs> if you say it like that <laughs> Okay, well, is there anything else you want to say about Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2, about things that annoyed you, or about the ending, about what it all means? I got nothing to what it all means. Like, again, I think you you were reading too much into it because you were sober, but I enjoyed it. I had fun with it, which is more than what I can say for any of the other previous ones combined. So, there. I've said my piece on this final chapter of Twilight. I will say, while I think the last 15 to 20 minute battle of the film is very interesting and seems to have a fairly progressive philosophy towards violence, especially for a mainstream blockbuster film, it gave me a lot to think about. And then the final sequence of the movie is, as you mentioned, basically just a greatest hits montage. Yes. It's not even a greatest hits. It's just like every poor person that signed up for this movie is going to be reminded of their embarrassing <laughs> life decisions. Yes. They're just like flashing back to all these people and all these events from past films while a pop song plays. Oh, hey, Anna Kendrick. Yeah. Where was she in this film? What happened She's to her? She's done. Girl, she, you know, Bella moved on. She went to a cooler She crowd. had better things to do. Yeah. Well, Anna Kendrick's character, I think, was human or something, so she's boring. She doesn't have superpowers. She can't play with the X-Men. Yeah. You know, after that really interesting final battle, it was just suddenly like, oh, look, more stuff I hate set to music. <laughs> Great. No. Kind of brought me back down to earth. Yeah, the, the best one, I think, was the, uh, they're just sitting in like a field of some sort of flowers or whatever. And she's like, I've developed a new power too. montage. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's so oh, man, this movie's so bad. I got PowerPoint, baby. <laughs> it really does look like someone just made these effects. I know. With their laptop in their basement. I feel like it's a made-for-TV movie. All right, well, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of Cinema Fix on Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. Don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be discussing Life of Pi. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. If you liked this episode, please write us a review. That really helps get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. That helps keep the network functioning, helps keep us on the air and developing new content. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including our new weekly podcast all about the ABC series Last Resort, Dispatches from St. Marina. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me online at my Twitter at mcastimovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. You can also find me on the BOFCA website. That's the Boston Online Film Critics Association, B-O-F-C-A dot com. And on my various outlets that I will tweet out on occasion. All right. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. If you followed me recently, you would have seen me live tweeting Breaking Dawn Part 2, so I hope that that was entertaining and not annoying. If it was annoying, I apologize. It was beautiful. (laughs) I'm glad you appreciated it. I loved it. I'm Andrew Johnson. And I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!